couldn't count how many movies include some climactic scene, right, where, where some, uh, a main character is hanging, is in danger of falling off a cliff, hanging there, uh, clinging to a, a branch, a flimsy little branch, or hanging off a, a plane or a helicopter or, or a building by some small rail. And on the other hand, they have this internal debate as they look at another hero whether or not take the risk to reach out and take their hand or not. Someone who can pull them to safety. And yet it means letting go of the thing to which you're grasping and, and taking hold of them. And the struggle in, in these stories, in that decision, is whether or not to continue hanging on to, to what you know you can control. What I can do, although it will certainly lead to their doom. Or to trust that this other person is able to hold on to them and pull them back to safety. Now, it's, it's never comfortable for any of us, is it, to, to give up control in our lives and hand it to other people? We, we all much prefer to, to have a, a firm grasp of our destiny and possess some power to affect the outcome in our favor. In, in other words, right? It, it's hard to trust someone else with ourselves. Whether hanging off a cliff or finding it hard to, and finding it hard to take our grip off that little branch and place our lives in another person's hands or as happens in the movies or, or perhaps in our daily lives concerning the future of our jobs, raising our kids, or just personal decisions in general, we find it hard to trust someone else more than we trust our own abilities. In Galatians 3, 10-14, Paul took on a similar issue. Where the Galatian Christians, the role of faith, the role of trusting Christ for justification. Justification is God's legal declaration that we're righteous in His sight. It's His pronouncement for the divine courtroom that stands for eternity that someone has fulfilled everything demanded of them to pass through judgment, cosmic judgment, without condemnation. Justification is a verdict then that sets you in a right relationship with God. God says you're righteous. Still, the Galatians had become confused about how this right relationship with God links to faith and works. They were hung up on circumcision. People had come and told them that if you want to be a Christian, you have to be, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised as a condition of salvation. They had come to think that they can do some works, even if it's a a minimal one, that contribute to their justification, their right relationship with God. As they hang off, but still keep at least a, a little bit of a light grip on that other flimsy branch by adding some works of the law just in case trusting Christ isn't quite enough. That's what we'll consider today. So the main, the main point is that Christ entirely and solely removes the law's curse from us. 
Christ entirely and solely, he alone, removes the law's curse from us. We'll think about this in three points taken from the Heidelberg Catechism, asking, what must we know in order to live and die well? So our three points are guilt, grace, and gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. So first, let's think about guilt. In Galatians 3, Paul is arguing, coming off this discussion that he's he's had about why Jews and Gentiles, because you're justified by faith and need to eat together and not break the fellowship within the church, Paul's arguing that justification by faith alone excludes the imposition of any works as a condition for salvation or being properly considered a Christian or considered a proper Christian better. In verses 6 to 9 here in chapter 3, he staked his claim that justification must be by faith alone in the example of Abraham. Abraham is a huge feature in Scripture. His, his shadow looms large across the narrative. Why? Because he is the man of faith. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. His, Paul's main conclusion there in in verse 9, was that, so then, because of all the things I've said about Abraham, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those who are of faith. Believers, right? Those who trust in Christ receive the blessings of Abraham, namely righteousness by faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul's point was that faith is the the singular, the only thing necessary to receive justification like Abraham. Why? Why is it that faith alone can bring the Abrahamic blessing? And that's what he takes on in verses 10 to 14 that we consider now. Why is it just faith? Because everyone who is of the works of the law is cursed rather than justified. He unpacks this in verses 10 to 14. There is a, there is a contrast as he shifts between verses 9 and 10, between those who are of one thing and those who are of another thing. Those who are of faith and those who are of the works of the law. The King James the older versions translate it that way rather than rely on those who are of faith, those who are of works. The contrast between those who rely on trust in Christ, you can read that into verse 9 just as easily and, and legitimately. Those who rely on trusting Christ and those who rely on their works of the law. The transition in Paul's argument is that believers are the ones who are justified. Why? Because those relying on their works are cursed. What does it mean to be cursed, though? Well, verse 10 tells us that the reason that someone relying on the, on works is cursed is because, because, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, quoting Deuteronomy 27 that we read earlier. So people 
who try to do rather than trust are cursed because justification by works requires perfection. We heard that, right? When we read that passage, keep them, do them, keep them all. And Paul repeats that conclusion here. You have to do everything in the law if you want to rely on your works. And so the reason for the curse upon those who want justification by works is the law requires perfect obedience in all its details to obtain a reward by it. Imagine a friend asked you uh, to build a car and promised that you'll receive a prize of some sort after you finish. The prize, whatever it is, you, you fill in the blank right there, seems sufficient for the work to you, so you set about the task after receiving the instructions, the, the blueprint for how to build this car that you're supposed to make. So you work for a few days, diligently, obviously, if it's just a few days at, at building a car, and then you report to your friend, the task is done. I fulfilled everything you asked me to do. So your friend begins to inspect this car, liking what they see until they open the bonnet, find no engine. Um, there's not an engine in this car. You respond, yeah, 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 but everything else is there. It's still a car. Your friend's going to reply, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but... Leaving one part out of the instructions means the task is incomplete. You didn't build the car. might look kind of like it. It might have the outward appearance of it, but you didn't build the car. I can't give you the reward. And the point is, that is how it works with God's law. If you want to receive its potential reward of of justification, of right standing with God to receive the Spirit, then you have to fulfill its every point. Keep its every little detail. On the other hand, because we are made in God's image, unlike our illustration, right, where someone opts into this deal, we are made in God's image, bound into the covenant of works that we considered already, and then we, because of that, we don't have the choice of opt into this endeavor of keeping the law. We are responsible because God's law summarizes His character and we are His image. We are responsible to fulfill the whole law. And if we don't, we're cursed. So that's why we're cursed still. And we're, but we're considering what is a curse? What does this mean to be cursed? Deuteronomy 27 helps us with that which Paul quoted here in verse 10. Curse comes upon those who break the law. And curse is, is someone who doesn't do these things. So, so it is the penalty. A curse is the penalty for transgression. What happened to people when they broke the law? Well, Israel as a nation was cast out of the promised land. The place... Note, this is why it's the place where God dwelled with His people in special blessing. Let's think even further back. Adam and Eve broke the law. 
and were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, the original place of God's special presence in blessing. But even, even these instances of being cast away from God's presence in blessing are faded examples in a sense of the ultimate curse being thrown into hell to endure the full measure of God's just wrath forever. A total removal of God's blessing. Anyone who leans on the law to be justified is cursed because everyone is guilty. The the implicit premise in Paul's argument here in verse 10 is that everyone who relies on works is cursed because no one actually keeps everything written in the law. Guilt comes upon sinners and we're all sinners. That brings us to our second point, grace. In light of this curse point, a lot, we, we can see now, right, that a lot is at stake in justification. Sometimes people ask what the practical payoff of doctrines is. What do I do with that? Sometimes that's valid. We don't, we don't want to be arbitrarily speculative with no relevance for our lives. But in fact, our relationship with God is imminently relevant to each of us. There is, in fact, nothing more significant or relevant we could consider. And so a lot is at stake in justification because it concerns your relationship with your Maker. So we need to circle back to that issue from the introduction about trust. Without Christ, we are that person hanging off the cliff clinging to a small and fragile branch. That approach is doomed to fail. It will break. Our grip will give out. So we need to believe in Jesus. Christians get used to hearing things about our relationship with God. We get get used to to hearing phrases and and thinking of them in in certain formulations. And that's well and good. We, We should be... Well taught, and but we should also keep track of the significance of putting it that way. But I think we, I think we get used to hearing about our relationship with God, and that can lead to its force being overlooked as we think about it this way. So, so let's think about this whole trusting someone else for our relationship in a in a different perspective. Let's think about a human example which Paul will do in our next section. So there's biblical grounding for this. Right? Think, think about the last time you were trying to go on a, on a first date. Now, maybe that was very recent. Maybe it's been several decades behind you and you've been married for some time or something like that. Either way, it doesn't matter, the timing. I'm sure you remember that being a nerve-wracking event. As you worked up the courage... To, to reach out and develop that relationship that you wanted. You were interested in someone and you wanted to begin 
and even develop a relationship with them. Okay, now though, so you, that's a, that's your situation. And then you have a friend who comes and says to you, look, I know you like them. I know you want a relationship with them. Don't worry about it. Don't do a thing. Leave it to me. Well, that's an odd thing, isn't it? To leave the establishment and development of a relationship with someone whom we want to know well and just put that in someone else's hands. That's a, that's a bizarre way to approach establishing and beginning and, and continuing a relationship. We want some control of that for various reasons. We feel like we should be involved. And indeed, most times that's the best way to go. We want to do something so that we're part of that. So that we, we make sure that we have a little bit of say-so in establishing and furthering our relationship with someone. Yet, Paul argued here that as sinners hanging by a, a fragile little branch, our only choice, our only choice for beginning and continuing a relationship with God, our only choice is to leave that relationship in the hands of someone else, trusting Jesus Christ. In verses 11 and 12, Paul reaffirms that why justification must be by faith. And he says, yeah, he says something interesting. Now it's evident. Look, it's crystal clear, self, self-obvious, that no one is justified before God. This is about your standing before the, the Lord of the universe by the law. For, because, right, quoting Habakkuk 2, for the righteous shall live by faith. It's self-evident that you cannot have a right relationship with God by the law because only believers will live. You will be righteous before God only by believing. But the law is not of faith. You can't confuse them, he says. These are two different things. Believing and doing are different principles. Rather, the one who... Talking about the law. The law isn't faith because the law is about the one who does them shall live by them. You can live by believing or you can live by doing. For sinners, works won't cut it. So we can be righteous before God only by faith. William Perkins, the father of Puritanism, taught in Cambridge, commented on verse 12, when Paul says the law is not of faith, he sets down the main difference between the law and the gospel. The law promised life to him that performs perfect obedience, and that for his works. The gospel promises life to him that does nothing in the cause of his salvation, but only believes in Christ. And it promises salvation to him that believes, yet not for his faith or of any any works else, but for the merit of 
Christ. The law then requires doing to salvation and the gospel believing and nothing else. Verse, verses 13 and 14 unpack why faith justifies but works don't. Cursed is everybody who relies on works of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Grace. Grace is outlined as you are under the curse of the law. All of us in sin. And so you cannot earn God's favor. Nothing in you, nothing you do, scores brownie points with God. But Christ endured the law's curse for you. For you. All the penalty that should have gone to us, Christ took upon Himself. We know His death was a cursed one because, as Paul quotes Deuteronomy 22 and 23, explaining that dying on a tree, like the cross, is a curse, a divine curse under God's law. It's not just humiliating, it's God's curse. As we considered last time when we thought about the covenant of works, right? that covenant made with Adam appointing Him as our representative for the whole human race. And the law thereby curses the entire human race, not just those born under the Mosaic Law. This isn't just for Jews in Galatians 3, which is clear when Paul wrote to Gentiles, Christ redeemed us. This is about everybody. This isn't about taking off religious restrictions so that Everybody can intermingle. That's not what's going on here. Everyone was condemned before God because all of us are bound to God's law in some form or or other. The moral law is built into our nature. For making it, Christ has borne your curse. He, he can, that, that little branch of your works will snap whether you know it or not. But Christ can hold you well. And so we are justified not by working, but by taking hold of Jesus. That's grace. Brings us to our final point. Gratitude. Okay, so what we've done so far is it's tried to, to really unpack that contrast in this passage between, on the one hand, your cursed position as a sinner relying on works, and on the other, what Christ has done for you by enduring the law's curse in your place. That's the basic premise of the gospel. That Christ died for you. Those little words, we brush over them. And yet Paul has put them in this letter in such meaningful places. For you. For us. Christ died for you. 
so that all who believe in him are freed from the curse. If you're not a Christian, let's think together for a second. If you're not a believer, I hope hope this presentation has, has registered with you. I hope the contrast between works and believing. Christians aren't a people who insist on faith as if we want you to agree with us just so that you have the right opinion. We want you to believe not necessarily the long list of things that we believe. We want you to believe what we believe, namely in Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way to escape condemnation. That's the only way to be free from the curse. Before God, there is no neutral stance. It's either works or faith. You're, you're standing on the platform of one of those two things. And you cannot choose another. You are either under the law and cursed because you've broken the law somewhere, somehow, whether you know it or not and whether you want to admit it or not. Or... Or you are a believer in Jesus. It does not matter if you are consciously relying on your works because if you're not a believer, you're obligated to be right with God by perfect obedience. Perfect observation of the law. The only exemption is for those who trust in Christ. Why? Because, because He has fulfilled the law for us. He's not just a good teacher. He's not somebody that your faith is, is worth. God, God hasn't substituted the requirement for perfect obedience with this other thing called faith. And if you just believe some of the things that Jesus taught, that's good enough now. That's not what's going on. Christ is the one who fulfilled the law perfectly for you and died Bearing your curse. Faith is the rope that binds you to Jesus. It's the hand that takes hold of the Christ as the Savior. Faith faith itself does not justify, but faith justifies as the means by which you grasp Christ Jesus. As As we cling, as we hang off of that little branch, about to snap, splitting At every moment, you hang off a cliff clinging to that fragile branch. Faith is the hand that grasps Christ as our rescuer, who is strong and able to pull us to safety as the one who earned righteousness for his people so that we would stand justified before God. Some of you, I just wonder, would... Would you place your trust in Jesus? Is this the message you needed to hear to clarify the gospel message that you might believe in him today? On the other hand, if you are a believer, if you are a believer, we need to think carefully together about this too. My fear, my fear for you, Christian, 
And I think that this does afflict some of us. This does weigh on some of us. My fear for you is that you think this this message about the core sum of the gospel, this whole presentation, I'm afraid you think this is for the unbelievers. My fear is that you think we proclaim this message about Christ crucified and risen for you week by week and how he and this message about how he justifies his people by faith week by week by week primarily in an attempt to reach the lost among us now certainly we pray for that that is a hope but Believer, all of this description of the gospel is for you. We all need the beautiful gospel announcement brought home to us. There's not a message in evangelism and then something else in the Christian life. There's the gospel. This message about restoration with your God goes out each week for you as a reminder and a promise to God's people. Something we all need. Here's why. Why why, why camp on that? Why emphasize this? Believer, reckon with your own heart and ask yourself, how how often, not, not what you think, not what you conclude intellectually, but in your heart, how often do you feel like you're cursed? How often do you wonder if God is displeased with you because of your past, maybe perhaps because of your present? How often do you think that really your need is to focus on your obedience and living well because that is your part in your relationship with God? That's your Christian life is summarized in your faithfulness. Does it linger in your mind as this, as this doubt, self-aware or not, as this concern. Maybe you're not concerned about it, but as any form of thought, does it linger in your mind that, yes, of course, God loves us by grace alone as we come to faith, but as we live the Christian life, God's favor really hangs on how well I'm doing, how much I've achieved, how many things I've accomplished, my Christian resume. I, I fear many of us do, in fact, live with the wrong answers to those questions. And we simply have to consider Galatians, don't we? Christian, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? No. 
quit, quit trying to put one hand back on that flimsy little branch and let everything rest in the hands of Christ who is strong enough to hold you. Once we are pulled up from falling off a cliff, right? Once once we're back on solid ground, we no longer act as if that little branch is our lifeline. You, you no longer wallow in the fear of falling once you stand on solid rock. And your feet are firmly planted. Why would you grasp a breaking little branch? And I think that's where we need to think about ourselves, isn't it, believer? Your curse is gone. Fully. And finally. Despite how it may feel sometimes, the the risk, the risk here is not in letting go of the branch. No, our works, right? That's not the risk. The risk is in holding on to it because it will lead to your demise. That's the risk. Since our works cannot save, cannot justify, Christ is then the only safe option. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are safe. That's the end of the story. Safety. Our life of gratitude in faithfulness presumes, presumes, listen, presumes the finality of salvation already given to us. It's done. So, Christian, then take note, the gospel is for you. You have not left behind the gospel after coming to faith. God wants you to hear this message of freedom, to know again and again and again that Christ has done everything, everything to restore you in a relationship with God and ensure, ensure that the maker of the universe looks upon you forever in favor as his beloved child. Nothing can overturn that. Those of faith, those of faith are blessed with Abraham because Christ bore our curse as those who were formerly of works of the law. There is no go back to the curse because it's gone for believers. Nothing can overturn Christ's work. And so nothing can overturn, believer, hear this, nothing can overturn how cherished you are in the sight of God. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that we have this message, that despite the fact that we are guilty, there is freedom in Christ Jesus. That those who are of faith are redeemed from the curse of the law. And we pray that wherever we are this morning, everyone in this room, that this message resonates 
in our souls. For those who do not believe, Lord, we pray that it resonates unto regeneration. That there is new life granted. That there is faith given today. For believers, Lord, we do pray that we remember again to camp in this gospel message. That we would always find our identity in Christ. Lord, we know that there are many around the world who are probably wrestling with that very thing even this morning. 